Hey everyone, my name is Adam. Welcome to the Chestnut Ridge Church Podcast. At the end of today's talk, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at The Ridge. We hope that today's talk will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning and uh, welcome here today. Today we're continuing our series, Hard Questions. We've been exploring issues that uh, Christians struggle with and wrestle with. And so the first week of the series, they talked about the meaning of life. Why were we created? Then we talked about uh, whether or not there's a thing called objective truth and how we find it. And then last week I talked about um, the subject of suffering and how we all suffer. And next week, um, I'd like to finish that one. That was the two-parter. But today I want to talk about the subject of politics and how involved Christians should be. I have to admit that it's nice to see it starting to grow again, but after this talk, we'll see what happens. When I was in my late teens and early 20s, I got very involved politically. I I supported particular candidates. I supported strongly a particular party. I was also part of political rallies. One of the rallies, for example, I was involved in took place at Madison Square Garden in New York City. We were there at the time when one of the major parties had its convention where they were selecting their candidate for president. And we were out there with signs and we were chanting various things. And, and at the time, I thought that, um, you know, we were really doing a, a good work. The news was there. Uh, all of the major networks were there. They were covering the convention, but they were also covering us. And I felt like, you know, our message is kind of getting out there. On another occasion, I was involved with a a rally that took place here in Morgantown. We were actually rallying against one of the U.S. senators from West Virginia because of his position on a particular issue involving Central America. Some of you maybe remember the Contras. It was a rebel group that was fighting against the Marxist Sandinista government of Nicaragua. And the U.S. had decided to get involved to help support these Contras. And this particular senator had a different perspective. And because of his perspective on that one issue, I decided that he was a bad person. That, that anyone that, that, that was a good person would see the value of, of defeating Marxism in Central America. And so we were out there and something interesting happened at that particular rally. An elderly woman came up to me, and she was very wise the way she talked to me. She said, "Um, do you know anything about this senator besides his position on this one issue? She said, do you know of all the good things he's done? And it just kind of silenced me. It's like, no, I, I don't know anything about him. I didn't know his position on various issues. I didn't know his values. I didn't know what his accomplishments were. I didn't know what his character was. One thing I did know is that he was in the other political party. That made him bad. But it was a little bit of a wake-up call for me to realize that I had been so strong in my opposition to this person, but I'd not done my homework. And I think it's important that we invest the time and energy before we begin speaking against other people, because there's a lot we don't know. The well-known atheist Sam Harris wrote, pay attention to the frontiers of your ignorance. Pay attention to those places where you just don't know, really. And yet sometimes we don't know, and yet we still have very, very strong opinions. 
Politics has been defined by Merriam-Webster as the art and science of government. Uh, simply put, it's, it's how leaders govern people. And we know biblically that there's a way in which this is supposed to be done that's different than the way it often happens in our world today. Uh, biblical leadership is supposed to be about using your position of influence to serve those you lead. It's servant leadership, but the, oftentimes it becomes a power thing and control over those you're leading, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 25. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. They dominate the people. And the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And so Jesus talked about this servant leadership where you use your position of power and authority and influence to make the lives of other people better. Now, I believe as Christians that our faith should be the primary driver when it comes to how we approach this entire subject of politics. And today I wanna explore a number of specific issues that Christians tend to feel very strongly about. And today I wanna explain exactly why. Why do Christians feel strongly about some of these issues? And then you can decide for yourself whether or not you think that's a valid argument or whatever. Uh, I won't be able to cover, of course, all the issues that matter to people, and a lot of them, of course, aren't addressed in the Bible. The Second Amendment, for example, to the Bill of Rights, the right to bear arms, might be a very, very significant issue to many of you, but I'd be hard-pressed to find a verse that said, well, you need to support or, or you need to stand against this because of whatever. There aren't verses out there that address this. And so we acknowledge that some of the things we're facing might be unique to our day and age. I want to say, though, at the same time, that I, I think we as, as Christians need to be able to talk about things. Now, I suspect before I'm said and done, most of you will disagree with at least one thing I will say today. But to me, the biggest issue is, can we talk about it? Can we at least get it out there and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking about this. Can we grow in our understanding? Because our country is such that, that people just do not seem to have the capacity to talk graciously, to, to work through things. How do we ever arrive at some kind of consensus if we can't at least talk about things? What James wrote in James 1.19, I think, applies here. He said, my dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everybody must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's that third one that's the biggest problem in our culture right now. People just don't have self-control. Be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry because he goes on to say it doesn't accomplish God's righteousness when we get all angry with one another. Now, before I get into the specific issues that I would like to address today, I want to make some observations. And it's a number of observations. This could have been actually three different talks. First observation is this, that this message is not about voting for a particular person or party. Now, perhaps you've seen some ministers on TV that have aligned themselves with a particular candidate or a particular party. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm just going to be looking at various issues. I prefer not to stump for a politician. If I'm going to stump for someone, it's going to be Jesus. Second, Christians, I think, have a responsibility to be involved in the political process. 
I think we're to use whatever influence we have to, to promote good and to bring about good things. And part of what this means is, I think, the civil, civic duty that we have to vote. Yesterday, I was reading what a leader by the name of Greg Leith had to say about the 2000 election. He said, if 600 more people had voted for Al Gore in Florida in 2000, he could have become the president of the United States. Just came down to 600 people would have decided the entire election. I think it matters. Now, without a doubt, religion and politics have been inappropriately intertwined over the years. And this, I think, causes some problems. I think there were problems associated, for example, with the moral majority. When I was around, that was very big, and I think some mistakes were made there. I think some large Christian institutions and churches are making mistakes by getting too intertwined with politics because I think when that happens, your mission and your message get compromised. It allows people to discard what you're doing. I've thought many times before that if people are gonna get mad at me or get mad at the church, let it be over the gospel message. Or let it be over our view that the Bible is the word of God, not over where we stand on a particular issue. Now, having said this, I think Christians do have a place at the table when it comes to politics. And when I look at the Bible, I see that very influential people were part of administrations throughout biblical history. I think of Joseph, for example, second in command to the most influential person of his day, the Pharaoh. I think of Daniel, who was second in command to the king of Babylon. Maybe the first world leader was Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar. And then I think of Esther, who was married to the king of Persia. And they all had influence. They could use their position to bring about good. And I think Christians should use whatever influence we have to bring about good. Third point I want to make is that people are more important than perspectives. Most important commands in the Bible are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then love your neighbor as yourself. I, I think love is more important than any of these political issues. I've had to show a, a fair amount of restraint watching various things on social media. I, I think probably you have as well. You see the things that come across your news feed and I just wanna jump into the debate I've looked at what some people have written and I thought that's just wrong and that's just horrible. But I learned early on that, that when I jumped in through that format, it did not persuade anybody. It just made them mad. It just made them mad at me. It just it be, it suddenly was becoming like an argument or something. And the bottom line is I think that we, we need to care about people. Now, I'm not suggesting that we avoid all conversations that, you know, where you're talking through issues with people with whom you disagree. I'm just saying that we love people first. People are more important than perspectives. Fourth point is that Christians have different opinions on various candidates and issues. Now, this one's been a little bit hard one for me because I've had the perspective that if you didn't vote the way I did, you're probably a bad Christian or maybe you're not a Christian at all. Now, if you're honest, some of you have had the same thing. It's like, how could anybody vote for that person and still be a Christian? A couple days ago, someone was telling me that they overheard or heard a situation where someone told someone else that if they did not vote for the right candidate for president, they'd go to hell. 
And, and I can see why sometimes we would have some of these perspectives. And I have been surprised sometimes to learn how people have voted, but in some of the past elections, I've gone to those individuals to ask them, why? I said, why, why did you, I'm just curious, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to judge you for your perspective, but I'm just curious why it is that you voted for this candidate, especially because of their view of this issue and this issue. And they came back and they had some, a very good couple of answers for it. And I thought, oh, I never thought of that. And you realize that the reason Christians disagree is that many times there are lots of issues, but we weigh them differently. And so depending on which issues you weigh the most, that will determine kind of how you, you go with this. But a person can be a Christian and vote differently than you do. Another point I'd like to make is that God is sovereign over the outcome of the election. And I, I think people have trouble believing this. I like the way the New Living Translation translates Psalm 75 in verse seven. It is God alone who judges, he decides who will rise and who will fall. You know, we do our part, but ultimately God is the one that decides who ends up in office. Now, sometimes I think God gives us what we deserve. You know, the, the nation of Israel asked for a king and God said, fine, here's your king, but he wasn't a good king. Didn't end up steering them in the right direction. Frankly, Israel got what they deserved. But God is sovereign. And this is borne out throughout the pages of the Bible. Think of the example of Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, again, I think was the first real world leader. One day he was on top of the roof of his palace. He looked out at his kingdom and he said, look what I've done. With my own intelligence, my own skill, my own might, look what I have accomplished. And God said, it wasn't you. And God struck him with insanity for seven months, or seven years. God said, You're, I'm gonna remove you from your position for a period of time until you are willing to acknowledge that God is the one who puts one in and takes another one out. Now, we don't always know why. What I do know is that as Christians, there's a way in which we're supposed to be viewing our leaders. Paul wrote Romans 12, 1 and 2 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when he wrote this, most likely the emperor in charge was Nero, one of the most godless emperors that ever exists. He was also just a morally sick individual. And yet Paul wrote, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for, and this is my point here, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it, oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. And so I think we as Christians need to deal differently with the outcome of the election. We just need to acknowledge that, okay, to the degree it didn't go the way I like, would like it to, I have to acknowledge that God knows what he's doing, God is sovereign, and we can kind of rest in that. And if we have trouble with those who are elected, pray for them. Last point I wanna make before I get into the specific issues is that I think our voting should line up with biblical values. Uh, most people vote certain things, like they vote the economy, or they vote a particular issue. I believe that Christians need to vote based upon biblical values, things that line up most closely with what's taught in the pages of the Bible. Why does that matter? Well, because God's ways are the ways of life. 
They're the best ways, the way God said things should be and how we should do things and the things God says are right and the things that God says are wrong. When we line up our lives or our government lines up things that line up with that, then we prosper more as a nation. I just think we'll be more blessed. Now let's look at the issues that I think Christians wrestle through. And again, this isn't gonna be all the issues and they're not in any particular order. The first one is God. God, now this is kind of an odd one because in the past I've never had to mention God as an issue. The assumption was of course everybody you know, believes God or everyone's rooting for God or everyone's promoting God, but that has changed. I hope you recognize that, that there's a, a major push right now to get God out of the whole thing. Like your, your, your faith should not factor in at all. Get God out. And I think that's a problem. And why does this matter? Well, our view on the existence of God, I think, impacts everything else. In Psalm 14, verse 1, we read, the fool says in his heart, God does not exist. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There's no one who does good. Now, I'm not intending to be disrespectful to those who don't believe in God. And most people, by the way, that identify as atheists are really, if they're honest, they're agnostics. They're basically, I don't know, you know? But this verse is repeated several times in the pages of the Bible. And I think the first part of the verse and the second part are related. It says, the fool says in his heart, God does not exist. And then it immediately says, they're corrupt. They do vile deeds. There's no one who does good. And, and, and what's he saying? Well, a, a person without God is godless, that they... They don't have a moral foundation upon which to stand. Suddenly what they are gonna do is based on, on not necessarily what's true or what is right, but what is most advantageous. They don't have this foundation. Now don't get me wrong about this. I'm not suggesting that an atheist is incapable of, of making good moral choices. Everybody, everybody was created in the image of God. And we have the divine fingerprint upon us. God has put within all of us a sense of right and wrong. He's given all of us a conscience. I think even a person who does not believe in God is capable of making good moral choices sometimes. But this is a foundational issue. And the verse says, the fool says there is no God. The implication is it should be evident to all of us. If someone doesn't believe it, they're not believing something that is really obvious. And it causes us to wonder, well, then why? You know, if they're blind to this issue, will they be blind to other issues? Second issue that's significant to many Christians is the environment. Now, I think a lot of people think Christians don't care about the environment. I think, I think there's a misunderstanding on this particular issue. I think most people, it's a personal opinion, I might be wrong on this, but most people I've talked to believe that it does seem like the environment's changing, where the biggest debate is why? And this is where people are kind of debating the science. Is it, is it about our, the human fingerprint on our, our environment or is there, are there other factors at work here? Is it something that's just a, a phase that we're going through and things like that? What everyone I think should agree on though as Christians is that we were given the task in the Garden of Eden to manage this place well. And so we read in Genesis 1 verse 28, talking about Adam and Eve, we read, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it or rule over it. 
He says, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Skipping to verse 15 of chapter two. The Lord took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden Eden, to work it and to watch over it. That's what I think we're supposed to be doing is working it, watching over the world. And so I think we do have a responsibility in this regard. Now, when it comes to this issue as well as other issues, we have to ask, well, which candidates are going to best support this value? And then a second, I think we... um, I think we need to ask the question uh, whether or not this issue is really, really important or not. I think this is true of all the issues. How important is this issue? Which candidates will handle it best? Third issue that relates to Christians is race relations. Now, I talked about this issue a few months ago. I made the point that all of us are created equal and we need to begin seeing others differently. We quoted from John Genesis, or I'm sorry, Genesis 1 and verse 27, where we read, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Every one of us traces our lineage to Adam and Eve. We are part of one big family. And so when it comes to the issue of race, I think two issues come to my mind. Number one is we need to get better at just being at peace among the races. But second, I think there is an issue of equality and asking the question, are the policies that we have favoring one group over another group? Is there discrimination taking place? If so, I think Christians should be at the forefront of saying that's not right. Everybody's been created in the image of God and we value people regardless of their race. Another issue that's very significant to Christians is marriage and family. Now, the definition of marriage, and this is one of the hot issues, the definition of marriage was changed by the Supreme Court. They determined that marriage is not something between a man and a woman, and in so doing, they changed what was the widely held perspective for 6,000 years. They made a decision to just change the definition. Now, you say, why, why does this matter? Well, it wasn't up to them. It's not up to us. It's something, this is something that God defines. God's the one that that says what the family is. God's the one that says what the marriage is. Jesus was asked a question at one point about divorce. He was asked the question, is it okay to divorce for any and every reason? Because one of the religious groups of his day, one of the pharisaical groups, believed that you could divorce your wife for any reason. You could just say, I divorce you, that's it. Another group, a more conservative group, believed that you you can't do that. You can only divorce over some big issue like infidelity. And so they came to Jesus to answer the question. Now, the question I would ask you is where would we go to get the answer? And where did Jesus go to get the answer? He's being asked a question about marriage and, and where divorce fits into the subject and this and that. Well, where did he go? Well, he went back to Genesis. He went back to God's design. He said, well, this is the way it was supposed to be in the beginning, reading in Matthew 19, four through six. He said, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not Celebrate or um, separate. Now, I realize that these verses are kind of offensive in our culture today. It says God created the male and female, and they're supposed to come together and unite. 
and they become one flesh, and then God's part of this equation too. And why does all this matter? What's the foundation of the family? It's the foundation of the society. And so it does matter. Now, how it matters in terms of voting depends on how people, again, weigh this particular subject. Another significant issue for many Christians is the poor. I would hope that all of us would agree that we have some responsibility as Christians to care about the poor, and especially those of the household of faith. In the book of Galatians, Paul said that we need to care for all people, but especially, especially put your emphasis on those who are believers, who are part of your your family. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we read about an occasion where the people of Israel were fasting over something. They wanted to hear from God, and so they humbled themselves through the practice of fasting. They, They set aside food, they set aside water, and they were praying to God, but an odd thing was happening. God wasn't answering their prayers. And they couldn't figure out why. We're fasting, we're doing all the right things. And this was the reason that God gave Isaiah. In Isaiah 58, 6 and 7, isn't the fast or the kind of fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see them? Isn't that what I'm looking for? The way you treat other people who are being oppressed, people that are being hurt, people who have needs? This is what God was looking for. In Proverbs 21.1, we read, the one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also cry out and not be answered. Now again, I think as Christians, we have a responsibility to care for those who are poor and politicians are gonna approach this differently. One thing I wanna want encourage you to do though in relation to the poor thing, when you're evalu- evaluating politicians in terms of their real concern for the poor, I'd evaluate how they personally give to the poor. How do they personally give to the poor? Not not how they're gonna steer the government's money or really your money toward the poor, but how they view it. Then I would realize this is something that's really on this person's heart. They really care about the poor because they're sacrificing their own resources to care for people. And that's when I realized that, yeah, that's really, I think, the test for me. Another issue, and this is, Perhaps the most contentious issue of all is the issue of abortion. For many Christians, this is the defining issue, and you may wonder why. I mean, why do Christians make such a big deal of this issue? Well, the reason is that we believe that life begins at conception. And not just any life, but human life begins at conception. And so therefore, you realize what abortion is about is the taking of a human life. And that's why this becomes a struggle for Christians to vote for someone who is favorable toward abortion. Now, I realize that some of you who are listening to me today perhaps have had an abortion, and it's not my intention here to lay a guilt trip on anybody. And I'm convinced that the church has done a very poor job of coming along people, uh, along with people who have either had an abortion or they're struggling with it. And I have to admit that I, I'm a guy And I can't even imagine what it must be like, that struggle that you might have with the question of, do I have to carry this child to to term? 
especially if something bad happened to you. But the issue remains the same. Life begins at conception. Paul, or I'm sorry, David said in Psalm 139, 13 and 14, he wrote, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wonderfully made. In the original Hebrew language in, this was, in which this was written, the word you here is emphatic. He's saying, you created my inward parts. You were there. You actually knit me together in the womb. In other words, God is there. The beginning of this, a scholar by the name of Ellsworth talks about that word knit. By using this term, the psalmist pictures himself as a fine piece of art and God as a skilled craftsman. And so here's what's the dynamic. When you have a conception taking place, it's a new creation. This is exactly, by the way, what happens when a person puts their faith in Christ. When they receive Christ as their savior, you become a new creation. You know how God created the heavens and the earth? He created all this stuff. And you kind of think, well, God's done with creation. No, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Put your faith in Christ, you become a new creation. But every child that's conceived is a creation as well, and God is there. Now, again, these are not e easy issues, and you have to decide where you weigh it. Another issue that matters to Christians is immigration and refugees, and this one is very complicated because there are a lot of issues, you know? A lot of people wonder, well, you know, who should you let in? Should you secure your borders? Should you be building a wall? How are we supposed to treat people? What about the, the dreamers and the, the kids that are already over here or others? And, and what do we do about this? And frankly, the immigration system is broken. And this is why it's so much of a problem, because I think if things were kind of fixed, and no one seems to be able to get it to get fixed. But if it were, then you could have certain rules. You could secure your borders and at the same time have welcoming arms. But as Christians, we really need to care for those that are suffering and those who are seeking refuge. I read several months ago that there are more refugees in the world today than ever since the beginning of time. Refugees, people that are being driven away from their homes and find themselves in other countries. And I have friends that are working with these ref refugees in camps over in Europe. They talk about how horrible the conditions are. I'm just saying as Christians, we need to have a heart of compassion. The people of Israel were told repeatedly that they needed to treat foreigners a certain way. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, for example, he says, when a foreigner lives with you in the land, you must not oppress him. You must regard the foreigner who lives with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. Anytime God adds that at the end, by the way, it's like a strong statement. I'm God, I'm telling you do this. Because any of you that have traveled to another country, you know that you feel very insecure and then when people extend kindness to you, you're so grateful. And oftentimes this is the thing that will open the door to introduce people to our God. In the New Testament, we read about practicing hospitality and the word hospitality means a lover of strangers. So the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, one, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember the prisoners, as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated, as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. In other words, put yourself in the seat of some of these people. 
And there are a lot of people suffering in our world today. The last issue I'd like to address this morning is the nation of Israel. I acknowledge that uh, the leaders over in Israel don't always make perhaps the right decisions. They've got policies that we as Christians may or may not uh, agree with. At the same time, what I I want us to understand is that that land actually belongs to them. It was given to them. And it wasn't a temporary thing. It It was an eternal thing. And so we read in Genesis 7, 7 and 8, where God said to Abraham, I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, and here it is, as an eternal possession. And I will be your God. In addition to that, and there's some discussion among Christians whether this applies or not, but I think the promise that God made to Abraham is true that applies to us today, Genesis 12, 3, where God said to him, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And so I I have a, a heart for Israel and a desire to bless Israel, and when I see politicians that are standing against or fighting against this, here's what comes to my mind. I know who wins it in the end. And I tend to want to actually support the winners. One day Jesus is going to reign in Jerusalem over Israel and the whole world. And that's the end of the story. Now we've talked about a lot of issues today. I didn't talk about some that you probably wrestle with. Like the question, which is more important, a leader's character or his or her policies and what they'll do? And I think Christians wrestle with some of these questions. I want to leave you, though, with these applications. Number one is I think the first application is love. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, politics can really d- divide even the church, and yet Jesus prayed that we'd be one. This should not be something that divides us as Christians. So you may disagree with some of the things I've shared here today, but we need to just love one another, give people room to grow in their understanding, learn from one another, but love is the most important thing, and I I don't want it to divide. Christians, second, pray, pray for the election. Pray that God will put in place the ones that he wants there, that he put in place ones that are gonna align their policies up with what's taught in the pages of the Bible. Pray before you vote. Third, I encourage you to vote. It's, I think, a civil duty that we, civic duty that we have. And if you don't vote, don't, don't complain about the outcome. You know? We have this responsibility. And then finally, uh, pray. You're saying, well, you already said that. No, I'm talking about praying after the election. I'm saying, let us pray for peace. No matter what's going to happen, it's not going to be pretty, probably. I don't know what all the issues are gonna be, but we need to pray, and we need to pray for leaders. And I close with this, what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. He said, first of all, then, I urge petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everybody, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's saying you pray for all those in authority so that there might be peace. 
in our country because when peace is reigning, then the gospel has a chance to flourish. Let's pray. Father, uh, these are some challenging issues. We thank you that you are God. And we do, Lord, want to reflect our faith in everything we do. And I pray you give us grace to wrestle with these things, to arrive at conclusions that you would want us to arrive at, to take seriously our responsibility to make a difference for good when it comes to the subject of politics. And we do ask you, Lord, that you would put in place those you want to be there and also those that would align themselves with what you say is good and right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's talk. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages, or you can download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.